The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. It is Sunday, 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 June 25th. And you know what that means. Uh, Another show. Yes. And more importantly... We get to see the draft in the middle of the week when, you know, we have absolutely no free time to actually enjoy it. it was, Yay! It was, what I don't understand, and I don't want to, I don't want to spend too long ripping the NHL, but I do want to spend a second because, okay, the first day of the draft is like just the first round, and it takes like four seven hours, hours, seven hours, six hours, whatever. So going to start at seven end at midnight six started six end at midnight whatever and then the next day i have to get up and work oh wait the second day is rounds two through seven they probably start at noon why are they not doing this on a friday saturday i have no idea um maybe if we're going to be really generous and i find it difficult to do that um, and given the NHL's abysmal planning of pretty much everything that might be even vaguely related to marketing, um, I, I, it's hard to be generous, but, um, maybe, maybe, maybe just looking at the calendar and using as a little bit of the old L and R, um, it's because with, with so many of the camps planned for the week of the fourth, well, um, they're hoping to get they're hoping to get everything. Like if they, the draft is the middle of this week. If they did it Friday and Saturday, there would be no days with the. Oh, first of all, there would be no days where most federal offices would be open before the camps are starting next week. It'd also be slamming into free agency. There is that, too. Um, but that's no reason why they couldn't have done it last week. Um, you know, maybe done it the 23rd and the 24th. Maybe the NBA beat them to it because they had their draft last week. Big deal. There's not many there's not many beat writers who are covering both sports. Well, it, it, yeah, first of all, it's not like they're going up against the NFL draft. Anybody who tries to run their draft while the NFL has theirs going on is foolish because everybody watches the NFL draft. But NBA draft, who watches that? I didn't even I, know it was even happening. Even the hardest core basketball fans that I know of, people who <laughs> used to play, who played college at a high level, uh-huh. don't watch that draft. Exactly. So, yes, they could have run it against. They could have run it. and But we do get the awards ceremony on Friday. Two days Which is after, definitely more important. Two days or three days after the draft. Well, it is important because we'll find we'll get the we'll get the answer to the scalding question of who's going to win the Vesna trophy. So. And, and, oh, and who's probably going to win the uh, Selkie? Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, those surprise, you, you never know. It, it could be somebody else. <laughs> it might not be Omar. 
getting the Vesna. Uh, huh? It might, you know, it could be William Carlson getting the the Selkie Trophy. Actually, he'd be a good candidate. Um, I thought Ekman, or Ak Ekman, or I forget. Oh, Joel Erickson Ak. He'd be a good candidate. Joel Erickson Ak. Yeah, that's the one. He'd be he'd be a good candidate too. I think he might be the. And I know we're not talking awards. He might actually be like the biggest competition for Bergeron at this point. Just like uh, I think Ilya Samsonov is going to be the biggest competition for Olmark. But again, they're pretty much done. Based on everything I've read and everything I've seen, they're pretty much done deals. But anyway, so, it, I mean, it is that time of year where, unfortunately, live action hockey has ended for the time being. And it's you, at all levels. There's no high school. There's no college. There's no anything. The exciting part being that in two weeks we will have development camp. Yes, where we'll get to see that that impressive, soon to be on the top level of Bruins hockey, um, that 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 wonderful third round pick that they have. Absolutely, and part of the biz show today is we're going to talk about a couple of players we're highlighting that should be interesting, not just in the first five of the draft. I mean, you all, everyone has, who's at all interested in the draft has seen, heard, or read all of the coverage possible on Bedard and Fantilli and Carlson and even Benson and Will Smith and the other the other guys who are going in the top ten. I know that the I know that the young gentleman that I've chosen to keep an eye on. It's possible one or two of them may squeak into the bottom of the second round, but uh, most of the ones I looked at. Uh, are going to be value picks, most likely. Yeah, I, I mean, there's one or two of mine who could go late first round. I'd be surprised. But, like, late first round it doesn't necessarily bother me. Um, but I'm thinking most of them are second rounders uh, at best, and there's a couple that are going to go fourth, fifth, and sixth. Um, I never try and predict what's going to happen in the seventh round because – one, it never makes any sense, and two, there's always at least one stud who shows up there. Yeah, based on the descriptions that they give, and we can go into details later, but based on the descriptions, you'd think that they'd all be going first overall. It's like, uh... No, uh some of them, yes. Um, some of them, it makes it really hard to... Some of them, it makes it really hard to figure out how they parsed them, you yeah. know, in the rankings. I mean, um, there, were, there were a couple of my players that I couldn't even find a video on. and I. Just but before do. we dive into the draft, let's take a look at some of the one or two of the other stories. Um, Absolutely. Board of Governors met this week. Um, Gary Bettman spoke. One of the topics that he discussed was um, the Board of Governors has decided to cancel any and all Jersey nights um, throughout the season. Um, they'll still sell them to you, but there won't be any jerseys worn during warmups because they can, they can sell that. Yes, they can sell them. It was an interesting tete-a-tete -tete between him and Elliot Friedman. Uh, 
<laughs> that's that's about as far as I can go with it. It was interesting. On that, the, on this particular topic, yes, I will say, and y'all should, anyone listening should hold on, um, and then prepare to write down what I'm going to say. First, I agree with Batman. And second, I still think it's cowardly. Um, I'd club you over the head for saying you agree with Batman, but actually I kind of agree with him too, only because it is, unfortunately. It's become a distraction. The word that he uses, yes, exactly, is distraction, and it has become a distraction. So they are no longer going to come out in warm-up jerseys for Pride nights or any other nights. Or, um, so no I military don't know. appreciation, no I'm, hockey fights cancer. I'm wondering if they'll still do hockey fights cancer. Oh, they're still they're still going to do the various nights of support as decided by the by the teams, but, but they're not doing with, the jerseys. They've done away with sweaters for every for every. Uh, Event, yeah. Event, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Which I personally, I get why it had to be all or nothing. I was going to say because, I mean, hockey fights cancer is a big one for the NHL. Yes. And for them to not have sweaters for hockey fights cancer is, I mean, with the auctioning off of the jerseys afterwards and the money. Well, that's. That's the thing for me for all of them, you know, whether it's Alzheimer's or the military appreciation that goes to veterans funds um, uh, for, you know, Pride Night. It's gone to stuff like Project Trevor and stuff like that. Um, It's people are people are more likely to bid on a on a hockey fights cancer jersey that's signed by, say, Patrice Bergeron or Connor Clifton or or Sidney Crosby or they're more likely to bid higher if it was something that they saw the player wearing on TV. Yes. Just signing a jersey and auctioning it. Yeah, it's going to raise money. It's going to raise more money if it's seen on the player. And it, it could literally only be worn for long enough for the player to walk down the tunnel, take a lap directly across the ice from where they step on, touch the boards on the other side, and skate back. And it still has more value than one that's not ever been seen and worn. Yep. I mean, there is a solution to it, but then you have to do it again for, unfortunately, all or nothing. And that solution is you just wear that jersey for the whole game. And not change out the jersey. But that, now you're playing around with NHL logos and marketing and this and that. It, it, it gets all squirrely. I, I mean, the other. I mean, there are other options beyond that. I mean, team that could announce its problem. option. It's um, teams could announce their jersey nights at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. and players could opt out of. It could opt out of all jersey nights without having to say which ones. The thing is, the NHL is, the thing is the NHL. That's that's the unspoken part of it is that they're trying to avoid the players opting out of. So I mean, rather than I, have, rather as, than have as players, an individual, yes, I 
I have a hard time with forcing people to do something that they don't want to that's not directly benefiting them. Yeah. That said, I I think the level of objection by certain players is um, unsupportable. I think that's the kindest word that I'm going to use. Okay. Um, I I understand why, and I I, I get it. So. Um, for I mean, for some of the Russian players, I get that there's that political aspect at home. Um, you know, for those who still call it home or still have close family members there, I get it. Uh, for others, yeah, uh, I'm not buying it. Um, just nope. not buying it and not buying the protests, not buying the reasons for the protests. I may believe that they are sincere and whatever I think of their whatever I think of the belief itself, they have a right to it. Um, I certainly, I'm sure I have certain beliefs that they don't particularly care for. And, but this, but the way they're handling this now, they're eliminating your beliefs, my beliefs, the NHL players beliefs. They're making it, they're making it sanitary. And they're doing it for basically five players. Or sanguine or whatever word you want to use. Uh, it's it's gross. I think it's I think it's a a massive leap backwards by decades for the NHL, whose mm-hmm. marketing has always struggled. Um, I. <sighs> Yeah, it's it, it, it is what it is. At the moment, there's not we're not going to change his mind, and they feel that this is the best solution. So, so be it. They did. I mean, he did give other updates. He did say that um, the the owners agreed that, or, or the executive board of executive, whatever the heck meeting it was, they agreed Board-gunners. that. They agreed that the salary cap is going to be at eighty three point five million this season coming up. And that's that's the other big story. It's probably the bigger story coming out of the Board of Governors is a they're hoping to get the escrow repaid this season. Um, I think it probably would have been repaid had, you know, Boston, New York, Toronto, L.A., Chicago, Vancouver made it into the playoffs all or into the second round all um, mm-hmm. just based on ticket sale numbers and ad revenue and everything's like thing like that. But that's just a hunch. Um, but if that gets repaid, because that's as much as 17, I, I've seen a number of 17.2 percent uh, where the payers are players are basically paying for the privilege of playing in the league. Um, and then not this year, not the coming season, the 23, 24, but the 24, 25 season, 20, um, we could see bumps of 4 million each of those seasons. The only thing that he, the only thing, 
and may and, cor- and correct me if I'm wrong, but the only thing that I saw in the video that was that he was willing to say that the first big bump is going to be four plus million. He didn't say what year it was going to happen. He did say that he believed that when the escrow, but the that if the escrow got, escrow got paid off, then it could be next season, uh, 24-25. But he said that that right. was further down the line, and he didn't want to get into specifics. But he said that he could see the the first bump being four plus million, which would put them in line for the parameters they're looking at, which is about eighty eight. Because um, it would put them at eighty-seven and a half, eight, so eighty-eight million four plus. Yeah, the the math works out, so it makes sense that he's what he's saying. And that's a that's a big bump. That's that will be the biggest bump we've seen in five years. Yes, but we all know that the owners and GMs were hoping that it was going to happen this year, which explains why the contracts are what they are. Um, and I think that. We may actually see a couple more deals with teams wiggling out from under their cap hell, um, because let's face it, as badly off as Boston is, the two of us were talking about it earlier uh, Mm pre-show, Tampa Bay is in a worse position, like really bad position. Um, Even the Calgary Flames aren't in a great position. Um, They're going to have to wait till 24-25 to get out of that situation um not that the cap is on the not that who's in cap hell is on the uh agenda for today but looking at some of the cap freeing moves that have been made <coughs> yeah uh this week um ahead of the draft and i suspect we'll see i'm gonna call it five drafts i'm gonna make my prediction right now there will be five trades made at the draft with current NHL players involved. Yeah. Um, but Sean Dersey went from L.A. to Arizona for a second round pick. Um, too bad because I think L.A. liked Sean Dersey. I don't think they wanted to part with him. Nope. Uh, but they did pick up Montreal's second round pick, so that will be fairly high. They picked up 1.7 in cap space. Um, and... According to what speculation is out there, some of that was to make room for a young player uh, in their system. Um, I think Sean Dersey, I think it was three seasons ago in the playoffs, had a really strong playoff run with them. Um, so this is a big win for Arizona. Um, Arizona in a, or L.A.? No, for Arizona. Uh, picking up Dersey. Oh, picking up Dersey, yes. Yeah. The fact that the fact that L.A. doesn't can't pay him or won't pay him or doesn't want to pay him or whatever the issue is cap space doesn't have a cap being forced to being forced to move him yes that is a big win for Arizona he's he is a talent like I said I don't think L.A. I'm pretty sure L.A. did not want to part with him if they could help it no um next up Colorado received Ryan Johansson or and half of his salary. From the Predators, who, in exchange for the signing rights for Alex Galchenyuk, um, he of the massive physicality. I wasn't even going there yet until we finished with Bettman, but okay. <laughs> um, I, I think that Bettman. Uh, well, he well, made some. I, I mean, he made some other points, and that's uh, you know. He talked about Arizona. 
Yeah, and he he actually, I mean, for somebody who is, he's never going to Arizona is his baby. We know this. He wants a team in the desert. He's not going to move them. But he still wasn't committal. He's he he did he did make a statement. He did one of his statements was that the Mullet Center is not a a permanent solution, which uh, duh, we all know because it only seats like five or seven thousand people. Um, that they would probably have a more definite solution mid-season uh, with Arizona. But he said that, that Marulo and Gutierrez are working hard because they really want to get this taken care of. And that was my first my first thought of, of Batman was like, ah, oh, there it is. He's, he's fibbing. <laughs> are they working hard at paying their bills? Um, well, that that's why they're stuck in the mullet arena. Hello. <laughs> Uh, the, the I mean, part of that is he did ex, he uh, Bettman did say that he that they were talking about local to the greater Phoenix uh, area options. Yeah, yeah but then which, then Friedman hit him with the owner of the the owner of the Phoenix Suns had an idea and was that an option? He said he knew nothing about it. So he said that there. I, I think he said that there hadn't been – he wasn't aware of any conversations. Yeah. Um, which is a, which is an interesting position, statement, however you want to put it, um, because it's a new owner. Uh, I think that as a new owner of an NBA franchise, I would be nervous about adding a tenant with a reputation like – uh, like the current ownership of the the current ownership of Coyotes. The, the current ownership of the Coyotes are a bunch, and I can't say it. Damn. They have um, sufficiently soiled their reputation as to make them undesirable. Is that what you're going to say? Uh sure, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I was thinking more along the lines of. Gary Bettman should feel like he's done this to him. I'm trying to be nice about this because what they've done to this organization is just uh, horrible. Go ahead. Horrible is not the right word. It's just it's wrong. It's to me, it's embarrassing for the league. It, it, it's an embarrassment to the league what they're doing to this franchise. They the ownership is so uh, from everything I've read so against paying bills and they've talked to other people that they've owed money to and how they operate and in in bad faith with negotiating deals and not paying until the last day, then coming up with complaints so that they can try and lower the prices. Uh, of the services they're acquiring or whatever. And they've run this organization into a situation where they're playing in a college arena where they're bringing in five to 7,000 people a night, whether that's all Arizona is going to draw because they're they're at the bottom of the NHL, that shouldn't play into it. You're limiting yourself because if Arizona has a strong fan base, they could draw 10,000, but you can't put 10,000 in the building. 
It's just Wait. it's embarrassing to the NHL. You can't put 10,000 NHL fans into a 5,000-seat college arena. I think that math needs to be checked. Well, the new math that they teach in school, and that's really going off on a tangent. (laughs) (laughs) If you're going to put people in other people's laps, absolutely you can fit them in. Me personally, I don't want somebody sitting in my lap. Thank you very much. (laughs) I would have to be fairly selective about who it was, yeah. And no, not when it comes to trying to watch hockey. I don't want somebody blocking my vision. <laughs> Get your own seat. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. They just they, they, what they've done to the what they've done to that organization. Just it it really does. It's mm, it's make make me unhappy. It's indefensible. That's a good like, one. It's indefensible. It's and I think it's okay to say it. We're not talking. We're not speculating about anything. We're talking about what's out in the media and why they lost their home. Why certain places won't deal with them. I think that indefensible is a accurate, accurate, and you know it's not unfair. Uh, it's not unfair to use the word. If you don't like it, you know, make sure that you have a better reputation going forward by doing better things. You really, really can't, as a public figure or public enterprise, and I mean public enterprise in the sense that it's to be marketing for the product. They did. He did talk about the new owner of the Ottawa Senators, Michael Andlauer. Uh, mm-hmm. That he's not he he can he can solicit ideas and and give input, but he's not because it hasn't been officially. They they're still doing background checks and whatnot uh, based on based on what Batman said. Uh, so Correct. he can't. He's not an official owner. He can't make any decisions, but he can still solicit advice and solicit ideas and, and, but the current ownership is still in position to make the decisions. And I think for the senators, that's actually good going forward um, because it's going to give Pierre Dorian who has done a better job than most people are willing to give him credit for. I think Pierre Dorian's done team. He's done, he's done yeoman's work. He's put his heart and soul and, and he's built that team. They're on the they're on the precipice. They're on the brink of, of playoffs uh, because they had some ugly injuries throughout the year. I mean, was the Matt Murray contract a bad idea? Sure. <laughs> Is Matt Murray's contract for any team a bad idea? Yes. Sure. <laughs> um, but they had Josh Norris who was who missed a bunch of time. Um, I think Artem Zub and Jake Sanderson were on the shelf for a little bit. I like Artem um, Zub. I didn't know much about him, but when I saw him play against Boston, he was he, he did all right. He he held his own for somebody that I knew nothing about. I thought I thought he performed admirably. Picking up Jacob Chikrin was a really strong move. That and was it. If that Tom was, Shabbat hopefully went into the summer healthy and can come out the same way. Um. I think Can that, you I know, say that was a brash move? Well, I was going to use the other B word, but... 
Bold, brave. Um. Oh, basket, basketballsy. Yeah, that one. Um, is that one acceptable? Is that too mm, over the line for PG? <laughs> I think we can. I think we can get away with that one. Um, okay, but that was that was a brash move by him to to acquire. I didn't. I knew that Arizona wanted to move him. I thought he was going to go somewhere like a Boston or or a Pittsburgh. You know, somebody who is either in or more likely to go into the playoffs, not Ottawa, who was kind of on the outside looking in. But with their injuries, they didn't really have a shot. But for him to pull that off, and now he's got Shabbat and Chikrin as and as his top two D-men. I mean, granted, okay, they're both And there are people offensive. who say that Norris could pass uh, Shabbat. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I buy into that. But I'm willing to watch it play out. Uh, I mean, Dorian has some work to do this summer. He's got Debrinket, Gambrell, Guthier, Shane Pinto, and Eric Brandstrom, Brandstrom, who are all RFAs. Um, Actually, no. um, And if you're being – Hamannick and Holden are both UFA. I don't know about Holden coming back. Hamannick, if you can get him on the cheap at 32, yeah. Brandstrom is an RFA with arbitration rights. Um, so he's going to cost you, but they, they honestly, if he's not already talking with Sanderson's representatives about an extension, then I don't have, then I, I, my opinion of Dorian will come down a couple of steps, but I can't imagine Dorian's not talking. And I think that, I think that for Sanderson, he should definitely want a bridge deal. Like, Knowing what we know about what's likely to happen with the cap, if he takes a two-year deal, if he takes a two-year, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. He takes a two-year deal at like, I don't know, three million per or something, two and a half. I, I would say two and a half. He's only played even two. He's only played seventy-seven games. Okay, so you double his money for two years, and then you see what you got at the you see what you got at the end of the twenty-four twenty-five season, and then. You start looking at five, six, seven-year deal. See what you've got. Absolutely. Yeah, and you, you'll still have the eligibility to sign him to an eight-year deal uh, as long as you get it done before he's expired. Um, I think that this team is in a really good spot. Yeah, Dorian's um, done a real good job with this team. Okay. Um, um, there were, and the one thing I thought he was lying about was uh, Friedman did ask him if there were any other teams that were up for sale or, you know, majority stakes or, or whatever. And Bettman kind of looked around and and then he was just like, no, no, not right now. And then he kind of blinked and looked away. It just he looked. I don't know. I. Trying to read people sometimes is not the best thing to do, but reading him, he just seemed like there was something more that he wasn't saying. It might be something that's not yet public knowledge. Um, I mean, we know. He did did also indicate 
the last part that they talked about, he indicated that both Bowman and Quenville are coming in in July, I believe he said, to have sit-downs with him. He said he would. they would have to make appointments with him. They hadn't at this point. No, they made no. They made the they were they they made the appointments. That but he said that he doesn't have he doesn't have anything. He's not prejudged them. He doesn't have anything to say. He's just going to hear what they have to say. Which and is an interesting going, evasion on his part. And I thought that was the. <laughs> I honestly thought that was the most weaselly part of what he was. Is he good saying and not saying? Um, because he made he avoided making any overt comment or even covert commentary on whether they were going to be approved or disapproved in order to return. Well, they, he has to um, approve it. They can't come back. They can't play. They you know they can't participate, as he said. And that was like for me his deflection of the question. Um, about what he would need to see for them to make to be approved. Are you saying he's good at the he's good at the art of uh, speaking with forked tongue? (laughs) He's as a as a certain person or possibly puppy said before the show, because our uh, third third host is running around. Um. Is, is he a master of semantics? Is he? <laughs> He's a lawyer. His lips are moving, so <laughs> you can fill in the uh, old joke from there. It was an interesting conversation. It was about seven or eight minutes long, and and aside from a couple of answers, because he really did avoid the last part, which was something about the the situation with the World Juniors in 2018. He really avoided that one. Oh, that I, was it the 18 team. Yeah, there's the investigation into the misbehavior yes. of, of of individuals. Oh no. oh no, five players on the five players on the Canadian national team were were accused of sexual assault. They they weren't just misbehaving, but he completely uh, avoided it by saying that he hadn't seen the report. They have to get it to him. He doesn't. He isn't writing it. And that was the yeah. end of that. Uh, that one. Yeah. That was what I expected him to say. And I don't think he's lying. Do I think that he has heard um, unofficial <laughs> things about what's in it? Yes, I do. Why? Because I can tie my own shoes. I'm pretty sure he was given a heads up as to what's in the report. Not word for word, but mm-hmm. somebody gave him the clip notes. <laughs> and he's not selling them for anything. <laughs> nope. Uh, and yes, Ryan Johansson was traded, and and I Let's, can't believe that they got Alex Galchenyuk and that they had to pay Colorado four million dollars to take Ryan Johansson. Let's take a look at the um, at the players we're picking. Uh, for fans to keep an eye on where they go, um, whether it's to their team, to a rival team, um, throughout the draft. As we started, as we mentioned at the start of the show, 
we're not looking at the top 10 or 20 players because, quite frankly, there's petabytes of data between written columns, videos about them, videos of them playing. Uh, no one needs an additional if you anything. If you haven't heard the name Connor Bedard yet, you probably don't even follow hockey at all. I And I would say the same thing for the rest of the top five, at, at least, um, because <laughs> at least five Fantilli, Carlson, Smith. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think the one that I'm most fascinated by is probably Carlson of the top five. But that's that's Mike. Um, if you haven't yet bought your draft guides, uh, we traditionally use both McKe- either McKeon's or Eps- uh, Future Considerations Hockey um, or both. Um, we are back to using both this year. Um, one of the interesting sections for McKeon's is their second chance uh, top redraft entry candidates. Um, mm-hmm. Number one is a goaltender uh, out of the NAHL. Number two is a Seattle uh, Thunderbirds defenseman. Um, there's a uh, there's some players from the KHL, from um, from the Swedish Hockey League. Um, it's an interesting it's an interesting list, including Cole Knubel, who happens to be Mike Knubel's son. Mm-hmm. Um, who's a winger slash center. Um, they have a best of list. Um, so best defensive defender, best offensive defender, smartest forward, smartest defender. Um, I looked at some of these lists and looked for people who appeared on at least two of the lists. Um, creating my, uh, my list of six players and no, we didn't go by position. I know I have more at one position than anything. I don't have any centers. Um, why don't you start off with your with the player uh, you want <laughs> with one of your players? Uh, well, all right. Since you decided to go there, I guess I don't have a choice but to go there. Since you mentioned second chances, he is the one person that I did mention that is a second chancer. At least I'm pretty sure he is. Um, and that my one center to watch was Cole Knubel. Uh, he was not rated at all, and I'm guessing it's because it is his second year of eligibility. Uh, there may be other reasons why, but uh, FC Hockey did not give him an updated ranking that I could find. McKean's has him ranked at 125. He goes 5'11", 175. The thing that got me most about him is that he has improved a lot in his offensive abilities. He's a, and he's actually now a more complete player than he was last season. Uh, his score, his score, he's honed, he's honed his scoring instincts. The big negative on him is that he still has an issue with the skating. Uh, Runs in the which, family. <laughs> I didn't want to go there, but yes, it runs in the family. <laughs> I was trying to be nice and not and not 
and not bring Mike in because Mike did so many other things right. He, I mean, his time here in Boston was one to enjoy as he was part of the 700-pound line. And um, the most amazing thing about it is no one knew, no one in the world knew who Mike Knubel was when he landed on the Boston Bruins roster. Did he come to us from Detroit or did he go to Detroit? Uh, no, he came to us from Detroit. I, I thought he actually came from us to us from Oh did he go to Detroit Washington? He, then maybe he went I I know he yeah, I know he no, played he in traded, Detroit as he was, well. He, was, he came from the New York Rangers. March tenth okay. March tenth, two thousand for Rob DeMaio, a name I have not said in Rob DeMaio, who by the way was also a fan favorite in Boston. And people were <clears throat> vexed that the Mayo was being traded out of town for this guy that no one knew. See, Cole Knubel, if you look at his, his ratings, they're all – and they're based on a 20 to 80 scale for McKean's. It's very weird. They don't do 1 to 100 or 10 to 100. They do 20 to 80. So his shot, his skills, his smarts, his physicality are all 55s. His skating is the only one that is not as good at 45. But he played. He played for Fargo. They went to the Clark Cup, or they played in the Clark Cup. Uh, he was an All Star. He also helped U.S. capture the World Juniors. One of the best players in the tournament. I mean, he's he's worked on his game. He's not he's not been just sitting by saying, you know what, my last name's Knubel, Damn it. Uh, he does a lot of his work the same way his dad did from the slot and in the crease. But yes, unfortunately, the skating is still something that uh, hampers him. Hopefully, he can work on that when he goes to Notre Dame. But I will be keeping an eye on him. So he's my first. And since you mentioned him, I figured I'd start there. Um, I I actually was hoping the Bruins would take a late round look at him um, last year. They did not, um, which... Which is odd, considering the way the Bruins like to bring in legacies. Yes. Um, so my first pick, and y'all will be shocked. No. Nope. Uh, those of you who pay any attention uh, and know what I lean towards in players uh, will be shocked to know it is it is in fact a defenseman, um, Andrew Gibson. Andrew Gibson, not a name I have looked at. Okay. Um, Sue Greyhounds. Mm-hmm. Sue Greyhounds, big boy. Listed at 6'3", 195. I mentioned the best of lists from McKean's. They have him as best on the best defender list and the best body check slash most physical player. Um, despite being on those two lists, McKean's only lists him at 59, um, which mean which puts him towards the end of the second round. Uh, FC Hockey has him at 109. Uh, I just like yeah. I think that combination of 
well-rounded defenseman who's actually physical, good size. It's it's something a lot of teams could use. Whether he lands in Buffalo, whether he lands in Winnipeg, whether he lands in Vancouver, I think that fans are going to like this kid uh, once he makes it into the NHL. There is one thing that concerns me about him, and I only say this because uh, he is a defenseman. But as it says here in McKean's, the most concerning part of his game is his puck management in, oh, wait, the defensive end. Yeah. He needs to, he He's needs to build better. It he needs to build better habits, take better routes. Uh, I'm thinking we already have somebody like that. <laughs> uh, I would rather hear about it in an 18-year-old than in a 20-something-year-old playing in the NHL with a very large salary. I mean, as a two-way defenseman, and that's really the way I describe him, he's got 21 points. He had 21 points in 45 games with the Greyhounds. So, half I mean, just under a half point per game for a defenseman. Not bad. Uh, 30 pims. So, he's not overly aggressive. I mean, I like what I see and what I'm reading. If he can work out those kinks in the defensive end, then somebody's going to get themselves a nice little prospect. But I don't see him as somebody who's going to be playing in his first year with whatever organization drafts. Oh, I don't don't think any of the guys that I talk uh, that I that I grabbed are going to be in the NHL in their first year. Yeah, same for mine. Um, You want me to do my second one or be my guest? You're on a roll. Out of the USHL, 6-2-205, McKean's has him as their top defensive defender, or one of their top defensive defenders, Maxime Sturbach. Um, I just like everything that I saw, or pretty much everything that I saw in um, reading the description for him. I was gonna say you gave me the you gave me the preview pre show you gave me a, a preview pre show, and what I read of him it sounds like uh, this is one of those guys who should be on people's boards. Like uh, McKean's has him at fifty two. Um, At minimum, Sturbeck projects as a quality stay-at-home defender at the NHL level because he brings physicality, strong positioning and awareness, and a high compete level. Um, that's the middle of the first paragraph. Um, they do worry a little bit about his um, about his skate work, skating, but he's headed to Michigan next year. I genuinely believe. Um, that between the fact that he's headed to college next year and his non-traditional route, he's a Slovakian who played in the Finnish league, moved to the USHL. Um, that's probably cost him five, 10 spots in rankings. Um, it will not surprise me if you see him taken in the top half of the second round by someone who's going to be patient with him. Um, yes, his offense is not spectacular. 40, uh, 46 games, 18 points uh, in the USHL. That's definitely not his game, though. Offense. It's not his game. Um, I, he's a physical guy. I, but I like 
I have a good feeling about this one. Um, going, uh, looking over at the, I mean, going to Michigan State, he'll be able to work on his skating, which apparently is the most concerning issue they seem to have. His his lateral quickness and agility are stuff that, but. To be able to work that out at the at the NCAA level instead of trying to do it at the AHL level is going to be a lot less stressful for him. And here's the here's one of the other things that sold me. Looking at FC hockey, they start off with they start off with the hard sell. Yeah. Starback is a defenseman with a strong defensive mindset, using good position and aggressive checking to take away time from his opponents. He exhibits poise with the puck under pressure near the blue line and moves well along the line to create different looks. Uh, Sturbeck's gap control is strong, and he typically knows when to step forward or fall back to maintain position. Um, he's ranked 59 by FC Hockey, and if he can get his skating tweaked, someone's going to... Uh, with, Someone is going to have a really nice prospect here. Um, yep. It might take him two or three years to uh, to get that skating going. He might only do it in the summer. I mean, he could really go into Michigan State, get in contact with a good skating coach, and come out uh, and finish next season as you know a really top defender. Um, they. Uh, FC Hockey summarizes him as a modern defenseman with potential for growth. Sturbeck's combination of defensive skills and offensive upside make an attractive, attractive option. They have him at 59. Who's next for you? Well, since I started on, since I started with the forwards, we'll stick with the forwards. <clears throat> got my, I got my center. Uh, to move over to right wing. This is the lowest ranked player of my group. Um, with Knubel at 125, this young man at 132 is a bit undersized, which actually, according to McKean's, is probably their biggest concern. Uh, so his projectability based on the size is, is a big thing. This young man's name is Aiden Fink. Aiden Fink, uh, junior A season, he played in the AJHL, the Alberta Junior Hockey League, mm-hmm. led the league in scoring, named the league's top forward and MVP, helped lead his Brooks team to their second championship in a row. He was also named both top forward and MVP across the entire Canadian Junior Hockey League. Got to win his second straight Centennial Cup national title. Uh, his big positives are his his vision and creativity, his deep bag of puck tricks, very uh, good hands. He feasts offensively, at least at that level he did. He also has an infectious swagger to him. I tried to get some video on this kid, and I couldn't find any. That was the big problem. I wanted to see this infectious swagger. Um. But his big negatives, <clears throat> aside from his size, is 5'9", 155. His, the one thing he can work on is his very choppy skating mechanics 
and the fact that he's not overly explosive from a standstill. Uh, for somebody his size, he's not going to be dipsy doodling with the time and space that he's used to in the junior leagues. So if he should go to someplace such as the NCAA or the AHL, that's his biggest area of need is that he's got to work on that skating. He's got to develop some kind of explosiveness, but the hands are there. The scoring is there. The attitude is there. He's not overly physical, but okay. He's five, nine, one fifty-five. I'm not expecting him to go taking out uh, the other guy's biggest defenseman anytime soon. But he's, he's not in a position where he's going to be grinding out pucks. So, do I like his upside? Yes. Um, for a team that, and as as uh, FC Hockey puts it, this is one of those high-risk, high-reward players. Because if the skating doesn't work out, then you've drafted yourself an AHL player. And a that's career AHL player. But again, he's also ranked 132 for a reason. So I'm not expecting that he's going anywhere prior to the third round. Totally fair. Am I finishing off my offense? Oh, sure. Go for the next one, too. All right. Let's move over to the left wing. Another young man ranked 123, so two spots above Cole Knuvel. This kid's a little bit bigger, 6 feet, 175 pounds from Sweden. Actually has an older brother who plays for, who is a Detroit Red Wings prospect. I'm expecting the jokes. Ah, silence, good. Uh, this young man's name is Noah Dower Nilsson, or Noah Nilsson, depending on what you read. Um, did nothing but produce all winter long. Slightly topped his older brother's impressive draft year production. He was one of the top scorers in Sweden's U-20 circuit, finished seventh overall in scoring, second youngest among the league's top 12 scorers, and unfortunately small sample size, the 37 games he played, the fewest in that group as well. He had a plus 29 rating, tied him for second overall in the league, played in the U-20 circuit as a 17-year-old, 24 points in 12 U18 league games. Uh, his achievements earn him a look. Uh, he's got soft hands. He's a fabulous decision maker. Uh, top nine, top nine NHL possibilities, according to McKean's, are very could very well be in the cards. He has a strong wrister. He's an aggressive forechecker. Enviable goal line proficiency. Once again, we come back to the all-important, what is it that they do in hockey? They skate. And he still needs to work on his skating. He doesn't have, uh, he hasn't developed that, uh, the little, again, the dipsy doodles and everything else. He's a, he's got the offensive touch, but. He needs to work on that on on that footwork. But uh, I believe FC Hockey actually said that he has the potential to be a top six forward in the NHL. That's, but again, that word potential is big and bold. Oh yeah, that's that's an interesting interesting. Um, so that's my offensive line though. 
uh, Wilson, Wilson, Knubel, and Aiden Fink. Uh, my next one is my next one is probably the is a really interesting prospect given the history of the program that he plays in, uh, and the fact that despite being only the second ranked. Uh, or the second score, uh, second in scoring on his team this year. He's actually several places above the guy ahead of him uh, in McKean's. Mm-hmm. And the guy ahead of him outscored him by 30 points. 20 goals, 10 assists. Uh, Hunter Anderson had 115 points um, in, in the season for in 54 games for Shattuck St. Mary's. But Zachary Nering is still at right wing ahead of him, um, even with a hefty dose of penalty minutes. Um, I like I like the way that uh, that McKean's describes him. Uh, what's interesting here is he's not ranked by more than a few, a handful of uh, tools. Um, Six three one eighty. Um, he's just turned eighteen in March. Um, straight out of FC, um, or I'm uh, sorry, straight out of McKean's. Naring is an intriguing potential power forward that oozes athleticism. He's a strong linear mover with big long strides, which allows him to play really solid north south game as he routinely beats defenders to the net on drives with and without the puck. He excels at the bumper position on the main advantage and takes up position near the blue paint at even strength. Looking to screen, tip, or put home second chance opportunities, Naring is also a consistent physical presence and is very active in puck pursuit on the forward check and the back check. To me, this sounds like a good penalty killer, someone who could take, like if Boston grabs him in the third, fourth round, maybe even the fifth where he's not that widely heralded, um, he sounds like someone who, if he can work on his, work on his shot a little bit more, um, work on his puck reception a little bit more, um, you can put him on your second power play unit, um, and have him grab those so-called garbage goals, those tips, um, honestly do a lot of what Mark Stone was doing, uh, for, for Vegas the last couple of years. Okay. Uh, I mean, he needs a couple of sandwiches, uh, but he's also barely a if he's and I believe he's off to Western Michigan this year. Yeah, he's headed to Western Michigan. Give him two years in college and he he can come out at, you know, 20 or so. If he's up to, say, 190, 192 at that point and has just tweaked his game a little bit uh, for puck reception. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to throw him on my third line and see what he can do. And wh- and where is this young man ranked? He's ranked 103 by McKean's. Um, most uh, most of the scouting services have not ranked him. Um, oh, that's the okay. That's the one you gave me a heads up on that he was going to be hard to find. Okay. Um, he's he's only ranked by about six services, and they're all they're basically all in the the mid hundreds. Um, Daily faceoff is the lowest at 194. Bob McKean's is probably the highest at 94. Um, but draft prospects hockey is 117. Mentioned the 103 from McKean's. 
the hockey news has him at 109 elite prospects has him at 116 i think because when i was looking when i was looking at right wings and and i and i settled on i settled on fink but i did look at at zachary and i think the one thing that worried me was and and worry is not really the right word i didn't I, i don't know quite how to describe it but when they tell me that it's best for him to keep things simple, his current offensive tools are classified as average. He's not skilled enough to create when pressure collapses around him. He gets boxed in. Again, they're all things that I'm get that I'm pretty sure you can learn, but it all depends on how much anxiety builds up in him when he does get boxed in. I mean, you can train somebody in how to get out of those situations, but the anxiety level that you feel when you do get boxed in can certainly overpower that. So I worry that it, it I worry that it, it, it is it possibly a mental game and not, and not the physical. But other than that, I mean, it's, he sounds like a, he, he sounds like a, a fabulous possible penalty killer. Um, somebody that you can park in front of the net on a power play. Um, they, they also go on to say that he excels at finishing in tight um, I think that most of the other stuff could be worked on. And for a guy who's probably going to play, you know, 12 minutes a night, 14 minutes a night on a on a contender. Yeah. Um, I think that that's really all you want. Uh, I mean, say Pittsburgh picks him up. We know that Sidney Crosby is not going to go stand in front of the net. Um, <laughs> it's just not his game. It's not his best use. Um or, you know, put him out on the ice uh, in Anaheim with um, with their young forwards. And I think you've got a decent combination because uh, their, their guys are a little bit on the small side. Well, at 6'3", 180, he's going to be – I mean, it, let's put it this way. You put a couple of sandwiches in him and you get him up to 195 – maybe 205 if you really push it i don't know what his body frame is like i haven't seen video on him but if you can get him to that area where he's unmovable yeah and you play and you plant him in the bumper position as it says excels in the bumper position you put extra weight on him and put him in the bumper position yeah <laughs> um next up is uh my only goalie out of Young's, out of Youngstown uh, for the USHL, six one two fifteen, and reading the comparisons on him, you would think that he was going to be a whole lot lower. Reading the what they actually say about him, mm-hmm. you would think that he might be ten fifteen places higher. Yeah. Um, some of where he's placed is he's a goaltender. I don't genuinely. I, I will be genuinely shocked if even two goaltenders are taken in the first round this year. But we're talking about Jacob Fowler. Um, middle paragraph for McKean's, a very technically sound netminder. Fowler is also athletic, and that combination gives him a great foundation to stop pucks. His rebound control is very good for a younger netminder, and he rarely gives up second chances back into the slot. Fowler has also showed that he can be a big game netminder this year with his performance in the Clark Cup uh, USHL playoffs, regularly stealing games for Youngstown. 
perhaps an underappreciated component of his game. Uh, Fowler is also a terrific puck handler that helps him alleviate pressure uh, from his defense by confidently coming out to play pucks, a lost art. Uh, Fowler may be one of the better puck handling goaltenders to come through the NHL draft in several years. Um, and the net this is the third paragraph on him is all about the comparisons. He's not as big as this guy. He's a little older than that guy. Blah, 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 blah. Look at what you're actually look at what's actually said about him. And people should get excited if he ends up in their system. Am I saying that he's the steal of the draft? No, I'm not. Um, he's uh, FC has him ranked at 71. Um, uh, they, they, they talk about him approaching the post with control, um, terrific timing and solid rebound control. Uh, I, I just like everything I've seen about this, about this young man. Um, I will be tracking down some highlight reels. Um, I was say, I have F- not seen... I was going to say I have not seen video on him, but go ahead. FC summarizes him uh, with his combination of controlled movements, strong positioning, and excellent puck tracking make him a promising prospect. And this is a player that they have ranked at 71. I I mean, you were you started off the show by saying that, you know, some of these make it sound like everyone should be a first-round pick. And, you know, at 71, you're talking third-rounder here. Um, going off of FC, um, at 40, uh, 45 over in McKean's, you're talking about second, somewhere in that range, not going to surprise me at all, but if someone comes in and grabs him at 35 because they're Toronto and they desperately need a, (laughs) a goaltend goaltending. Yeah, they wouldn't know. Or, um, there's a couple of other teams that could do it. Uh, I mean, there's. I think we're in a goal. I think we're in an elite, in an elite goaltending drought at the moment. In the NHL. Mm, okay, I can, I can, I can see, I can see how that you'd say that. I and I tend to agree. I think elite goaltenders are few and far between. Uh, I like this kid's numbers. I would. I'm. I'm gonna go dig up some video after we finish the show. Um, if he's regularly stealing games for Youngstown, I like goaltenders that can steal a game here and there. Uh, Me, if a, a team that I can genuinely see going after him, uh, just based on who they have signed today. <laughs> yeah. Let's get two second round picks. Maybe taking him with the first one is a reach, but they've got Philly's Philly's pick uh, for the second one. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's a really good place to te- to draft him. Um, if Buffalo grabs him with the second pick, I it, it's it's an overstatement to say that Kevin Adams should get the uh, executive of the year there, but. I would be happy. I would be very happy. He's up against some stiff competition in uh, 
a certain Sweeney's. Oh, that competition is well, maybe not for this for the current season, but for next season. No. Yeah. Okay. I. I mean, the side. I'm not. I'm not one of these guys that's sold on bigger is necessarily better when it comes to goaltenders. In fact, I believe that goaltenders over like six three. With I would say few, six four, but yeah. Six four, with a few exceptions, I think it actually becomes somewhat of a hindrance. Uh, but that being said, you watch the way Elmark played this season, and Elmark is what right at the six four mark. Six mm-hmm. six four, depending on where you read, could be six three, could be six five. Uh, but I think, I mean, look at Ben Bishop. For one. Wasn't he listed at six six? I believe. I mean, six six, sometimes six seven. Yeah, he was. And there was all kinds of issues there. I think that mobility becomes an issue when you get too big. I mean, you look at guys like look at guys who have succeeded. Look at Yusei Saros. Look at uh, uh, Yaroslav Halak. Both of them under six feet tall. I, personally, for me, I think that the six foot two, six so, foot two, six foot three range. Is the sweet spot for NHL goaltenders? I was actually uh, going to say Jeremy six, Swayman. Yeah, I was actually going to say six one to six three is like the sweet spot, and this kid falls in at six one, so he actually fits the bill. Swayman six two one ninety four. Um, you know, body shape is going to play a part of it, and obviously, injury history is huge. But I, you're not going to get me to not like this kid until I see him perform poorly consistently who you got next i think you got one here i'll keep an eye on him that's for sure all right so working our way backwards we have blue liners and i went with a couple of guys who are ranked in the 70s my first guy 6'3 195 ranked 72 by mckeen's Looking at a young man by the name of Carter Sotheran. Now, I did watch some video of Carter Sotheran and <clears throat> entertaining to watch. Not a not an offensive defenseman by any stretch of the imagination. 68 games played with the Portland Winterhawks. He had a whopping 23 points, but he did have 54 penalty minutes. And as it says in McKean's first sentence, Sotheran was one of the best kept secrets in the WHL early on in the season, but word quickly spread and that didn't last long. The thing is that he was paired up with Luca Cagnoni, who's actually expected to go, I think, a little higher in the draft than Carter. But they actually indicate in the draft that Carter Sotheran is the reason that Luca Cagnoni could be Luca Cagnoni. Absolutely. He was because Carter Sotheran is the defense first thinking defenseman. Smooth skating, dictates the play, um, exciting to watch. You can see him slowly but surely learning this in real time, sometimes even one shift to the next. So the intelligence, the hockey IQ is there and is growing. Just kept getting more efficient and effective with how he could swallow up opposing forwards, separate them from the puck, and help his team take the first steps with their newest stretch of possession. 
Sometimes he made it look incredibly easy, and other times the execution wasn't quite right, which is where the negatives start. He isn't an offensive defenseman. He's not going to be your power your your quarter your power play quarterback, but he does have the hockey IQ, and he's his ability to stand up players at the blue line, his ability to ride players and keep them on the perimeter. And from what I watched, he knows how to use his six three hundred and ninety five pound frame. Yep, FC so, has him on number eight on their uh, top ten best defensive defenders too. Um, I was going to say so at seventy two for McKean's, it seems a little low, but uh, somebody takes a flyer on this kid and and jumps the line, maybe takes him at the end of the second round or middle of the second round, I don't think they're going to be upset. Uh, if, he, I, if he happens to fall into the third round, then somebody's probably getting a huge value. It says if his offensive game can start growing at even just a fraction of the rate that his defensive game is growing now, then the sky could be the limit for him. His upside starts to seem even more enticing once you learn just how much he dominated U18 AAA hockey in Manitoba last year, winning Defenseman of the Year after leading leading in both goals and points by a blue liner. Just wait until his confidence reaches another level and Portland lets him play more minutes. I I really like what uh, what's written about him. Um, hard to argue that this kid uh, is going to get drafted in that top three rounds. I mean, FC has him at 64. That's the end of the second round. Yeah. Um, I Quite honestly, in this year's draft, everyone who gets taken after 10 or 12, the next 60 picks, 70 picks, you could go anywhere. Like if you, you could be ranked 11 and go number 77, you could be ranked number 79 and go at 14 um, or anywhere in between. Um, I don't I, – this draft is going to be really interesting on that point because I – while there's depth in this draft, I think you're looking at a draft that's more depth players than stars. Um, obviously you've got a very heavy, a top heavy draft, but I think there's a lot more guys who are going to play their 400 games in the NHL than some of the people have indicated. I think there's a lot based on what I'm reading and on, and the research that we've done, and I've still got two more players I want to talk about, Yep. but based on what I've read, based on what I'm reading, based on the limited number of videos I've watched, and, and yes, top heavy, but I get the impression and I don't want to compare it to a certain other draft because it's not that. But I think there is more value in this draft in the later rounds than there has been in the last half dozen. I'll go along with that. Because even with the last two players that I'm going to talk about, um, I think that you've got I think you've got a decent amount of value uh even players who are draft who are you know ranked in the on the hundreds and 120s and 150s mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and quite frankly, once you're ranked outside the third or fourth round, it's a it's a crapshoot. Um, why don't you go ahead with your next one, and I'll finish off. All right. So, obviously, Carter Sutherland isn't going to need a defense partner. And I get the feeling this might be the one crossover, because I thought I heard you mention the name during the pre-show, but I'm going to mention him anyway, because I love what McKean's had to say about him. At number 75, 6'1", 180 pounds, plays for the Kingston Frontenacs, Quentin Burns. Perhaps one of the and, – and I did not pick him because of this sentence, but it certainly matches what I've seen and, and what I've read. Perhaps one of the best-kept secrets in the draft this year. Burns played much of this year outside of the spotlight thanks to the fact that his Kingston frontnecks found themselves near the bottom of the standings, and he wasn't a previously highly touted prospect. However, his performance became too good to ignore, got a spot on the Canadian U18 team, Suffered a tournament-ending lower body injury, which may actually be something as to why he fell to 75. Um, I know you'll like this. One of his most impressive features is his physicality. And if you watch, he can be physical. I didn't see any fighting. There was no fighting videos. But he can be physical. His, he's six foot one, 180. He's a mean customer. Throwback to yesteryears. Relishes the opportunity to plaster an opposing forward to the boards. And he's very difficult to beat one-on-one. The other negative on him indicates that he does have discipline issues because of his physicality, not because he's a meathead. Um, but his intense approach makes him a solid defensive projection at the pro level, solid offensive defender who can both lead the rush out of the defensive end and quarterback the power play makes a good first pass and has enough skill to evade pressure to maintain possession. Unfortunately, like most of my other guys, he needs to work on his skating. That's genuinely normal for everyone outside the top 20 players in the draft. If he can improve his linear quickness, he could have more consistent impact as an offensive leader in transition. By improving his four-way mobility and agility, he could become an even better defensive player since he doesn't have elite reach or size. If he improves his overall mobility, he could be a longtime pro defender. And I actually like pairing him with Southern because – like Luca Cagnoni, Southern would allow this kid to be a little more offensive minded, work on the skating, and then you've got yourself a nice little twosome. <laughs> and he's ranked, like I said, at 75 by McKean's. Um, FC Hockey actually has him at 110. Yep. While FC Hockey had Southern at 64. I mean, the, the, the disparity, considering they're only three ranks apart from McKean's, is kind of scary. It, it always works that way. Um, but I really like this kid. I mean, he's not huge, but he's not he's not Tory Krug. Hey, now there are smaller players. Yeah, I, I got I got, I got nothing against Tory Krug. I mean, if you watch it, I had more fun watching him hit Robert Thomas over and over again. I love his physicality. I love his attitude. I love his his his. Uh, emphasis on physical play, but Tory Krug is five ten, five eleven at the tallest. 
Quentin Burns is listed at 6'1", 180. He's a little bit bigger. He's a little bit more physical. But I don't think Burns is actually any heavier than Tory Krug because I saw Krug when he came out of college in the Bruins locker room. Mm-hmm. His thighs were enormous and rock solid. <laughs> like, enormous and rock solid. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like saying that, you know, uh, Sergei Samsonov was, you know, five, five, eight and one eighty five. The, the, the man didn't have an ounce of fat on him, though. <laughs> so not only could you not move him, but you couldn't take the puck away from him either. <laughs> and who's your next guy? No, you were supposed to go next. I've got one more. I've got one more player. You were supposed to finish out yours. Oh, okay. Um, so I also had Quentin by uh, Quentin Burns here. Did you um, see? I knew we had a crossover. Looking at what FC has to say about him, they summarize him with: considering his comprehensive skills and game sense, Burns presents as a viable prospect for an NHL defensive core, making him a notable prospect. Um. They they start off with their this one two punch of impact statements about him. Burns consistently de- uh, demonstrates a multifaceted approach to the game, effectively making his mark in all areas. His physical attributes are immediately apparent, displaying an intriguing combination of length, strength, and a unique athletic skating posture. Uh, Burns' excellent balance during transition and considerable strength through directional changes are noteworthy. His forward direction mobility allows him to maintain a constant presence, ensuring that he remains integral to the game's progression. Just that alone. Now that alone is going to get him drafted. Now it's interesting because FC hockey is actually saying that his four way mobility is a positive. Whereas McKean's, uh, review indicates that he needs to improve his four-way mobility and agility. I suspect that's a question of whether they saw him after while well, he was writing an injury or not. Um, I'd want to see how many scouting reports each side, each uh, magazine had on it. Right. Um, because FC is pretty emphatic about it. Um, they talk about it. I mean, obviously, obviously the physical side of it is is apparent. I mean, they both mention it and put it as their put it at the top of their list or so it would seem. So the physical side of his game is definitely uh, something to watch. But uh, and I love like, the fact that he's described as anticipating the game because that's not something you can teach. No, like. You can teach defensive positioning. You could teach it by rote, even if a guy doesn't understand hockey. Um, you can teach shot blocking. You can teach defensive zone exits, uh, usually. Um, there are some players who have never seemed to learn them, even after 10 years in the league. Um, you can improve people's shots here and there. You can improve their skating. But you can't You can't teach someone to read for two or four or three puck movements ahead. Uh, that's something you have to have that cognitive ability all by your lonely. Um, so, yes, uh, he was my fifth. My last guy, um, interest, another interesting player, Marcus Nguyen, um, Portland Winterhawks. 
110. Um, again, he's a player who's not ranked widely, um, but I think that he's he's got the He's got the chops to be really, really interesting, uh, at least in my very humble opinion. Is he listed as a center or a right wing? I think he's another right wing. Yes. Um, He's ranked 184, um, 510, 172. Um, Central scouting doesn't rank him. He's playing for Portland Winterhawks, 66 games, 23 goals, 23 assists. Um. Relentless puck hound, excellent puck handling skills. Um, in the offensive zone, you, uh, Nguyen is a nuisance to opposing defenders below the goal line, going hard for every loose puck and using his low center of gravity to establish body position. Defensively, he excels along the wall, ensuring pucks are cleared while demonstrating a willingness to sacrifice his body in shooting lanes. Um he possesses a good wrist and snapshot. Um, I, I think, you know, if you're drafting him in round five, six, seven, you're probably getting a 12, 15 goal a year third liner um, at his best, um, or maybe a five, six, eight goal guy if you're playing in fourth line minutes you know eight to twelve and probably one or two of those goals are shorthanded because it sounds like putting him on your penalty kill um and allowing him to terrify the opposition is a really smart move in some ways the way they're describing him reminds me of what Matt Grizzly would be as a forward. <laughs> okay. That would be that would be entertaining to watch. Just I mean just watching I mean Grizzly being one of the best leaders on the Bruins and his ability to move in the offensive zone. If you had a winger who could move like Grizzly does yeah, I'd be all for it. And your last? My last one, well, we did forwards. We got two defensemen in front of them, so you know I'm going to have a goaltender, right? <laughs> I was assuming you'd go with, like, three goaltenders, but that's just me. I could have gone with three goaltenders. I looked at a lot of them, but I went with this one because this one intrigues me. Ranked 89 by McKean's, actually ranked 81 by FC Hockey. Young man is six foot 175. He's a, literally just turned 18 back in March. The intriguing part about this kid is that he's not the starter. He's the backup. Yet the starter for this team, the Seattle the the Seattle Winterhawks, I believe it is. Yep. The starter is actually ranked 153 by McKean's. Now, part of it is probably because it's his it's his third. I think it's his like third or last year of eligibility. Uh, but Thomas Millich is actually the starter for the Winterhawks. 
and he had decent numbers. However, he also went away and he played in the World Juniors. And this young man, Scott Ratzlaff, like I said, 18 years old, six foot 175, part of the championship winning team. So it might sound a little strange to say that his season likely didn't go completely as he had hoped. But as nice as it is to win, it's even better to be an essential part of that success, which wasn't the case here. Stuck behind Thomas Millich, he only dressed in 34 games, played 2,011 minutes, not one second of it in the playoffs. <clears throat> just how good, sparks one question, just how good is he? Excellent in the backup goalie role, stellar win-loss record at 25-8. and eight. He had a 2.15 goals against and a 9.18 save percentage. Stepped up admirably when Millich was away for the World Juniors. I believe he went 8-0-1. Um, yeah, he also guided Canada to gold at the Ivan Hlinka, excuse me, Hlinka Gretzky in 2022. Body of work is small, which is one of the negatives they have, but they actually go out of their way to say he is consistent, highly intelligent, Technically sound, impressively well-rounded. Always seems to be in control of his net, fully aware of how the play is unfolding in front of him. There are no clear weaknesses to his game, aside from maybe not being as huge as NHL teams have started to prefer their goaltenders to be. There are also questions how much playing time he'll get if Milich returns again because he's ranked so low. I'm thinking you draft this kid. And skip over Thomas Millage. This kid, video I watched of him, this is a kid who was rebound control. He was either snuffing it out completely or directing it into the corners. I only saw one or two instances where a rebound um, escaped him. When he's scrambling on his body, he's still in control of his crease. He knows where he knows where his posts are. His lateral movement is strong. He's got a really good glove hand. I, I, As they say, there are no clear weaknesses. I couldn't find one. Uh, I FC really like this kid. FC doesn't like his blocker side. Um, I didn't see a problem with his blocker side in the videos I watched. I really didn't. I mean, unless they have issues with, like, rebound control off the blocker or something like that but i didn't see a problem with his blocker side he's strong with the paddle uh, even there was one particular instance where he lost the paddle and was still able to to get stay in position and make the save with his pads it's i'm not going to sit here and try to compare him to what um caden primo was at northeastern caden primo was ridiculous good at northeastern he's just now he's kind of hit a snag with getting over the hump and getting up to the Canadians. But from what I've seen, and it is limited videos, not a huge sample size, but I like what I see from this kid. And he is literally 18 years and three months old. And he's shown, he's shown solid improvement uh, in his three seasons for WHL. I mean, he had an 897 867 save percentage in three games in 2021, mm -hmm. 22 games in 21-22-904, and then this past season, 34 games, he had a 918. Um, and a 
So while, in, so while increasing the workload, the save percentage is going up. The goals against are going down. Uh, I think that rather than going with Millich, who's the more expected uh, commodity, I think you draft this kid. He's ranked higher than Gajan, who's supposed to be one of the best goaltenders in this draft. He's, I can I, he's, I see your argument. Um, he's ranked a little. He's ranked. Uh, Trey Augustine is ranked like in the 70s by McKean's, who's supposed to be a better goaltender. Uh, Jacob Fowler is ranked ahead of him as well. At, what did you say? What was he McKean's like 45 or something? Jacob yeah. Fowler was ranked at 45. I don't know. I think if you're rather than trying to take a kid in the in the top half of the second second round or bottom end of the first round i think that you give this kid a crack in the lower in 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 the third round or or whatever and especially a team and dare i say like the bruins i know they just gave an extension to Busey. they gave him a one-year extension two-year gone it was a two-way deal but if you're if they really are looking to move and i know we're going to talk about this guy in a moment but if they are looking to move Olmark, you still have to stock the lower levels and and build that prospect system. Why not take this kid? You've already got Busey down there. You've got Swayman. You've got, uh, I forget who the other kid is that's down there. Um, Kyle Kaiser. Yep. I mean, I'm not saying you use your first third round pick on him unless you're worried that somebody else is going to grab him. But it sounds to me like this kid deserves, uh, this kid deserves a look. I'll be following following him. Chicago has four second round picks. They have their own, the Rangers, the senators and the Tampa Bay lightning. Tampa Bay's should be the last of those. If they took him with that, Fourth, second round pick, assuming they use all of them. Are you happy with that? Is that a reach? At what? At what? At what pick? Um, it's fifty-five. If they took him at fifty-five, I honestly don't think it's a reach, though. I don't think it's really a reach. You're not. You're not bringing him up to. You're not bringing him up to start 60 games in the NHL straight away. So if you're drafting him at 55, you either leave him you either leave him in Seattle, where he's going to back up Millich again. Hopefully Millich gets drafted and goes off somewhere, and this kid gets to be a starter, and then you can really see what he can do. But unfortunately, it sounds like Millich might be um, <clears throat> sticking around a while, the way they're phrasing it in McKean's. Um, the Flyers have Florida's second rounder, uh, third rounder, and the Rangers' third rounder. So um, the Rangers' one will be at 87. Uh, I w- if I'm the ra- if I'm the Flyers, I would take him based on what you're saying. I would happily take him with that pick if he's available. I I I I like the I like what I see, and I mean, as far as my eye test, he passes. 
the blocker side, I didn't see the issues, but maybe I didn't see enough video. Like I said, lateral movement, post to post, up and down, goes into the butt. I mean, plays out at the edge of the crease. He, he can backtrack. Uh, kind of does it the way Omar does it now. The what 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 Bob Asenza taught him the whole always drifting back but staying centered to the staying centered to your net and given that giving give yourself that extra couple of inches on a on a shot and whatnot. He he really looks the part. I, I don't want to sit here and say that you know there is no weakness, but Hack McKean said there's no clear weakness, so I'll go with that. Okay, how do you feel about him at the 39th pick? That might be a little high. Because uh, Buff- that's where Buffalo's second uh, second round pick is. Their second second round pick? Yes, they have their own and Phillies. You know what? If, it's a, if, if you have multiple picks in the same round, then maybe you take a flyer. It might be a little high, but if you've got multiple picks in that round, then get the one guy you know you want with the other pick and then take a flyer with this one. Uh, I mean, on that note, Seattle has three picks themselves. Uh, Building up that hometown. They can probably use goaltending, too. They have their own. They have Toronto's and they have Winnipeg's uh, picks. They can probably use some goaltending in the system. I know they have Joey Decord. Um, I don't know if Chris Dreger is even playing anymore or if he's on the outs. You got Martin Jones backing up Philip Grubauer. You could probably use some youth there. So they have in the second round, they have the 50s. It would not surprise me to see them draft him. I mean, he's in their backyard, so they They probably know more. 52 and 57. You know, I wouldn't cry if I were a Seattle fan if they took him with any of those. Either 52. Yeah, especially, I mean, even if it's the 52, 57. Yeah. And like I said, he's in their backyard, so they probably know more about him than I or you or anybody else does. It would, um, not, surp- it would not surprise me to see them snag him. Real quick, a um, couple of uh, – ran a poll on Linus Olmark. Um, what the Bruins should do with him or what do fans think the Bruins will do with him Mm -hmm. uh, this season and it's basically a 50-50 poll Um, trade him 48.5 keep him uh, 51.5 no one actually voted for buy him out which I honestly didn't expect Um, but I put it up there because fans are interesting some days I don't think they'd buy him out uh, that just doesn't make sense. You're gonna, you're not gonna deal the. There's, there's no higher point than where he is right now, unless he had won a Stanley Cup. But you're talking about the best goaltender for the season. He's most likely going to win the Vesna. Uh, the numbers I'm that sure. he put, the numbers that he put up were <clears throat> ridiculous during the regular season. Yes. Then you stop and look at his performance in the playoffs, but you've got to take into consideration that he was probably injured, most likely injured. 
the fact that he played six games in a row when he hadn't done that all season long. There were extenuating, extenuating circumstances. I mean, I think that the Bruins will trade him or will at least exhaust all options as far as trying to trade him. Yeah. I'm I'm assuming that Sweeney has a, a, a price tag in his head. Uh, he, he he's probably expecting to pick up um Rick Nash, Lisa and Lee Stepniak uh coming back. Now there's somebody who's going to be there's somebody or two somebody's who would be returning to retirement. Uh, <laughs> returning to retirement when you haven't actually done that yet. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's kind of difficult to return to retirement when you haven't retired. Yes, we've discussed that. Details, details. Yes. Um, what is with Alan Walsh real quick here? Alan Walsh is simply pointing out something that all of us have observed pretty pretty steadily. Um, and that's uh, the... The flower was stabbed in the back. The enormous disparity in salary uh, between the NHL and the other leagues. Like, oh, you don't need you don't need Alan Walsh to point that out. <laughs> I mean, the he's re, he's retweeted with comment a Lev Akabas uh, tweet. Um, number one NBA draft pick Victor Wembayama's four year deal. With the Spurs is projected to be worth fifty four point four million. Number one overall pick uh, for the NHL, Bryce Young, predicted to be thirty eight million. And Walsh retweets with his commentary: signing bonus ninety five thousand is the cap for that. Salary capped at eight fifty five, and performance bonuses capped at a million per year, all minus the escrow, which he lists at six percent. Um, some of it is league revenue. Some of this is Alan Walsh being Alan Walsh, and we love him for it. Um, How can you not love Alan Walsh? Come on now. The the biggest thing the league needs to do is number one, get their get their act together in terms of marketing uh, the players. I I can't I can't emphasize enough that it's really, really difficult to become attached to a team or a sport if there's not a player that you just gravitate towards. Uh, um, what bothers me, and I know you're not you're not supposed to read the comments, but I, I read the top one. And the top comment by somebody who has a blue check mark says, in fairness, Victor uh, Wembanyama, Wem, Wem Banyama. Yeah. And Bryce, uh, Bryce, 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 whatever, Bryce Young. Yep. Will start, quote, and be dominant on day one. Unlikely in the NHL. Uh, some years, yes. It, unlikely to be dominant in the NHL. However, the expectations on Connor Bedard are that he is going to be dominant. And in some cases, we know that they were dominant. You know, that that McDavid kid. Kind of good. Kind of good and kind of was dominant as a rookie and still didn't get the contracts that other rookies are getting when they get drafted. So 
But if we're diving into the comments, the second comment from Travis Rammel, increase hockey revenue then. You know, you can't get... Uh, you can't get the salaries without the revenue. People make the same complaints about the WNBA or uh, the PHF or other women's hockey leagues not getting their players not being paid the same as the men. Unfortunately, Travis Rammel, Travis Rammy, Rammel, Travis Rammel, CPA. Unfortunately, I hate to agree with him, but I have to. He's absolutely right. The and and it's something that you keep preaching and we keep preaching. Marketing, marketing, marketing. You have to do something to improve revenue. Marketing will help improve revenue. And that, hockey fans, is where we leave you. Uh, draft is middle of the week. I will be watching. I will be tweeting. I will be. Um, I will be as active as I can. Um, we'll talk about. Uh, some of the moves I admit I will have a poll up uh, midweek. Um, I don't. There will probably be more than one poll, um, so keep your eyes open for them. Uh, share them when you see them. Um, I love seeing what hockey fans have to say. Um, next Chris, week, next week we might even have more exciting escrow talk. Ooh. <laughs> Hey, I didn't put it on the show board. <laughs> hey, I love escrow talk. I would talk about it all the time, but every time I put it on, you delete it. Well, I'm trying to think. Would people rather talk about who the teams are drafting, or would they rather talk about why they have to pay 6%? <laughs> Again, we'll get into it later. <laughs> And that, hockey fans, is where we leave you. Have a great weekend. Uh, have a great draft week. Enjoy um, the draft. We will see you just before free agency. And I already uh, have three or four free agents I want to talk about for next week. Take care. <laughs>